I'm an attorney. Like I have a lot of knowledge around these things. It would be like if someone were trying to have an argument with you about sex education, you're like, well, hold up. This isn't actually my opinion. This is like real information. Like this is research information. Yeah. I'm sure you're aware that doesn't stop people from arguing. No, it does not. It does not. And welcome to Uncensored with Pint Size Sexologist. I am Nat Higgins, your host. I have a Master's of Education in Human Sexuality Studies, and that makes me mildly qualified to talk to you about sex ed on the internet. And yeah, so the point of this podcast is just to talk to people about their experiences with sex ed and how it's impacted them, uh, and largely just hear their stories and then probably go off on a lot of digressions because that's what we do a lot. And I have some special guests today from a different podcast who uh, also just really love normalizing the conversation around sex and sexuality and a lot of other personal topics that people are often scared to talk about, even with some of their closest friends. So if we could welcome the two ladies behind Wild Women Rise, we have Nicole and Suzanne. How are you two doing? Good. Thanks for having us. Thank you for being here. Yes, so excited. Thank you. Yes. So I gave a little synopsis of your podcast, but if you wanna if you wanna talk a little bit more about like why you do it, what you do, um, why you're interested, all of that jazz. Uh yeah, so it was during quarantine, we were having we were in a group chat with some of our friends talking about how I mean, we were talking about all sorts of stuff, just the kind of girl talk that you have with your girlfriends. And we realized that so many women have these conversations with their friends or they want to have these conversations with their friends, whether it's about sex or did you know, like one came up, it's like, did you know that like there are any in Audi vulvas? And like, if you have an Audi vulva, like that's normal or I have a hair growing on my nipple or something like that. Just like the weird things that you have girl talk about (laughs) or like, oh my gosh, like we were having sex and this happened that you don't, that people don't, um, they don't, they either think that they're weird, that no one else has those conversations or they have those conversations, but they feel like it's really taboo. And we just wanted to take that stigma and that taboo off of those conversations because in reality, and Nicole, you can add to this too. Like those are some of our favorite conversations to have. Yeah, definitely. And, um, I guess what I like about how our podcast started and transformed is that we we're all very different. We're all very different and unique women with different backgrounds, different races, different sexual orientations, different relationship dynamics. So, We just wanted to kind of have like, I don't know if you've ever seen the show uh, Around the Horn where they all like kind of discuss topics. So that was on ESPN. Whatever. I mean, if it's on ESPN, it explains why I've not seen it. It is. It's Around the Horn. Around the Horn on ESPN. Okay. I've seen it at a bar. I'm not sitting there watching it. Okay. I'm the Um, resident (laughs) girl. So yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah, so we talk about things that other people are afraid of talking about. Like um, we've got, we throw some witchcraft in there. We've got some really cool guests, like people who have been involved in like sex work or the kink world or have experienced some severe trauma. Like we had someone who, was actually kidnapped and survived that. So just oh, wow. really any, I know, yeah, any anything that's interesting and pop culture too. And it, it helps us stay connected too as friends. We check in with each other because our lives are busy and we always make a point to connect with each other. So that's really important too. And we just put it all out there. Yeah, I that's what I, I've loved about listening to your podcast. Um I started from the beginning. I'm slowly working my way <laughs> through, but I really like it because um, it started out with more of you uh, and it, it has gotten down to just you two. But um, 
life happens. Yes, life adults. Adulting adulthood is really hard <laughs> with yeah. keeping schedules with with friends and keeping in touch. Um but like having these conversations in such a genuine way even for people who aren't having these conversations with other people they're now hearing all of you have these conversations and like they'll learn like oh that isn't weird that's the thing that I have like or that's the thing that I experienced um or like dear god I hope I don't get kidnapped apparently (laughs) yeah it's been really cool to have people reach out to us and say oh my gosh I'm so happy you talked about that because I've had those feelings for so long or I've had those thoughts and I've thought that I was just the weirdo Mm-hmm. And you made it seem like I'm not the weirdo. We're all the weirdos. And I'm like, absolutely. I said to someone once that my greatest failure as a mother will be if my kids consider themselves normal. Because I want my I want my kids to consider themselves to be the weirdos because we're all weird. And when you're normal, all you're really doing is like suppressing your weird and then you're suppressing like big, huge parts of you. And there isn't really a normal, like sometimes there's like a median or a mean or a thing that happens like right. most frequently, but like there's, there are so many people, like so many little points of data that like none of it is, there isn't anything that's weird for the most part like every once in a while there's something it's like oh maybe you should get that checked out by a doctor because there might be something else going on but like that should also be a normal thing that people feel comfortable to do absolutely not scared to go to the doctor because they're afraid Mm -hmm. that there's going to be something quote-unquote wrong with them um when human bodies just sometimes need a little fixing yeah (laughs) amazing yes um so uh yeah so i guess i i want to hear a little bit more about each of you individually uh just as people like tell me a little bit about yourselves nicole you want to go first yeah um me as a person geez okay just uh, interests and stuff like that just so we can get a feel for who we are talking to Okay, well, you're talking to um, a burlesque performer, and I also do pet sitting. I'm obsessed with animals. I love dogs. And let's see, I also am a stylist. I work at this very cool boutique on South Broadway in Denver called Femme Fatale. Look it up on Instagram. Um, It's really fun. I am very passionate about um, expressing sexuality and sensuality especially women or femme identifying um because i grew up um very repressed i was i grew up in the suburbs of denver Mm. and i'm biracial and my dad was a physical education teacher and my mom worked um for the airlines for the for a little bit and then um, was mostly in customer service um in technology so just like middle class and you know the sex education here out in um denver was not much of anything and i'd say that i was a disaster in terms of you know growing up and trying to figure out my way through the sex world um just because i feel like i've thought that my life should be a romantic movie and it has not turned out that way in the slightest bit. And I've accomplished everything. I've been married before. I have been divorced for about three or four years now. I don't even know. Cause I barely remember being married. And um, yeah, in terms of like, you know, sexuality, it's something that I'm still exploring. I identify as a demisexual and um yeah, I'm single. If any of you, I, I'm unfortunately like mostly straight. I identify as a demisexual. I'm open to all people, but I love straight men with long hair usually. And you you have a preference. You have a preference. I have a fucking preference, but that doesn't mean anything. So yeah, that's that's me. And then I met Suzanne at a photo shoot um, a couple years ago. We were in a spiritual women's circle. And I connected with this bitch over here because she looked the hottest in the room and <laughs> the, most, the most expensive. And she had glitter. And, of course, me, a burlesque person, was like, ooh, glitter. 
right? Oh, God. Now we're friends. It's I did. I did have um, body glow that I was rubbing up all over all of these strangers, and um, yeah, that was that was an experience for me for sure. I had just moved to Denver, and that was my first. Basically, all of the people who I met at that photo shoot became my best friends, and my. Um, I don't know what I would do without them. But uh, yeah, so anyway, I'm Suzanne and I grew up in, I grew up all over Missouri, but we settled in St. Louis right before I started eighth grade. And so I consider St. Louis home and then moved to Oklahoma for undergrad, met my husband right before my senior year, stayed in Oklahoma for law school, got married after my first year of law school and popped out, passed my bar and popped out two kids before I was 30. And, um, then kind of started having an existential crisis of, well, what the fuck do I do now? And had my own law practice for a while. And then we moved to Denver because of my husband's job and then had an even bigger existential crisis of like, okay, really, what the fuck do I do now? And that living in Denver for the last three years has been the most incredible thing that's ever happened to me because it really forced me to look at myself and to figure out who I am and what I want in life. And I spent a year training and getting certified in various modalities, including NLP. And I am now a coach who works with women going through different transitional periods of life, whether and people tend to think of that as like getting married, getting divorced, having a kid, but really a transitional period in life can be something as small as, which isn't small, but is actually pretty big. Wow. I realize I have this childhood trauma that is holding me back in these points of life and I'm ready to deal with that mm -hmm. because that is a big transitional period in life. And it's, it's really just like my absolute joy to work with these women, either one-on-one -on -one or in groups. I've worked with some men before too. And I actually really enjoy that also because watching a man's world view kind of crumble around like the, oh, I don't have to be these things that the world t tells me I have to be in order to be a man. It's really beautiful. But, yeah, that's uh, great. Yeah. And in terms of growing up in sexual education, you know, I grew up in Catholic school. I went to Catholic school my entire life. It was truly abstinence, abstinence, mm -hmm. abstinence, abstinence. And I remember my freshman year of high school, there was a day during our religion classes where everyone in our grade, because it was a small school, there were only like 130 of us, were split into two religion classes, even though we normally didn't have religion at the same time. And I later found out it was because they had sent letters home to our parents asking if we could have like the sex talk in school basically. And to be honest, I don't even know if my parents ever got that letter. <laughs> like they may have, <laughs> they may not have, I don't know. But you know, my, my parents were high school sweethearts. I know that they had broken up for a couple of times and I know my dad definitely dated other people. And I asked my mom once and she would, I don't, she'll never hear this. So I don't really care that I'm saying this. I was like, did you have sex before marriage? And her response was your father and I were very much in love. And that truly led me to believe like she's saying yes. Like that was her awkward way of saying yes without giving me the green light to go have sex. I mean, that's how I would have read that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. Like my mother is very, very religious still and I am not – and I remember when I had sex for the first time because we have an episode um, of our podcast talking about the social myth of virginity mm -hmm. and we've chosen to call it your sexual debut Yes, as opposed to losing anything. But when I had sex for the first time, I like, I was also very sick. I had a very serious eating disorder and was self-harming and I was in high school and my mother found my journal where I wrote about all of this. And she was more concerned about the fact that I had had sex than about the fact that I was purging multiple times a day and cutting myself. Ugh. And so those are the parameters around which I kind of grew up with sex. It was don't have sex or you will get 
pregnant and die. Like the quote from Mean Girls. Yeah, the Mean Girls. Except after that, it was not. Here have some rubbers. Um, A girl who was in my class my senior year was pregnant and it was just like not spoken about. So that, yeah, I mean, that was, that's my background in sex education. I didn't have any at all. And what I did have, a lot of it came from my peers. I remember, this is a precious Suzanne story that I have never told in public before. Oh, we're getting the inside scoop. I was at church camp in in between sixth and seventh grades, I believe. It may have been seventh and eighth grade. And there were teenagers who were like the counselors and then, you know, we Mm -hmm. were the kids. And one of the teenage counselors said, do you know what a blowjob is? Yeah. I mean, was there context or was this out of the middle of nowhere? Like, uh, no, there wasn't. I don't really remember the context around it. I think that like we were kind of like trying to flirt with him or something. I don't know. It was church camp is always inappropriate. Like, oh yeah. I have never heard an appropriate church camp story, but I remember like we were both just like, yeah, we know what that is, which 100% did not. I literally thought it meant giving a hickey, okay? I'm like 11 or 12, like, so I'm giving myself some grace here. I mean, no, you know what? If you don't know what it is, I feel like that wouldn't, that would make sense. Yeah. And then I remember being in eighth grade and watching Cruel Intentions at my friend's house (laughs) At a sleepover, she had an older sister who was like 16, and she was telling me about all of this stuff that her older sister and her older sister's boyfriend do. And I was finally like, okay, I have questions now because you keep using all of these like interchangeable words apparently, and I don't know what you're talking about. And so that was the day that I learned the different euphemisms for fellatio. That movie is really hot, okay? Like when Sarah Michelle Geller starts to make out with Selma, with Selma Blair. Blair. I knew, I knew that I like. I was like, "Why, I what?" And then Ryan Phillippe, like, <laughs> oh the movie "Cruel Intentions" was just a whole sexual awakening for an entire generation of young women. Yeah, it's like that. "Cruel Intentions" and "Dirty Dancing" are like. I think the reason why I have had such questionable taste in men for so long. I mean, I wouldn't wouldn't blame it entirely, though, because, like, I wasn't allowed to watch Dirty Dancing until I was, like, 15 years old. Like, my mother was like, no. And it wasn't because of the abortion portion of it. It was just that they were dancing inappropriately. Mm -hmm. The hips. The The hips. hips. The hips. Mm-hmm. I was my, I think my mom my... would have had an aneurysm over Elvis. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so funny because I was allowed to watch Grease and Dirty Dancing up until I was like eight, and then I wasn't allowed to watch it again until I was like 15. Yeah, because all of a sudden you you understood the implications of what was going on. However, I think that I would have dodged a few bullets had I had a Patrick Swayze like imprint in my life. I'm saying because he was he was the bad boy with the golden heart, but he wasn't really a bad boy. No, he, was, he wasn't. I did see a tweet the other day that was like, you know what? As an adult watching Dirty Dancing, I don't think that baby's parents were that wrong because she was 18 and this man looked like he was 40. <laughs> I'm like, that's fair. That's fair. I'm pretty sure Patrick Swayze just like popped out looking oh, like, like he was 40. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Rest in peace, Patrick Swayze, the forever daddy. Uh, angel. Angel baby man. Yeah. I think the movie that did it for me that, like, really woke me up, my sexual debut or whatever, was uh, Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. and Claire Danes. Yes. Oh, okay. my God. That like, explains so much of what I know about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So well, I mean, I've even done an act around it. But yes. Yeah. And then that, for me, though, like, I – what I – what I'm trying to learn is to like basically um, separate like 
sexual attraction from romantic attraction that is very different but again Mm -hmm. I had no education no education just going into it blind my parents wanted to act like I wasn't even ever gonna have sex like I could talk to my mom and like trash boys but we weren't having like legitimate like this is your clit and your vulva like this is where it might feel good and stuff like that so um separating like romantic relationships from sexual attraction and realizing like me I have to understand like lust versus love and like that for me needs to be some something something needs to be taught around that for younger children because that is something that I'm still working on today I am actually really glad that you brought that up because that's the thing that I don't think a lot of adults today understand. And like, I've had this conversation with my mom several times because sometimes she feels bad for not giving me information when I was younger. And I was like, did you have that information? <laughs> like, did you even have that information to give? No, you didn't. Um, So like with your mom not telling you about the different parts of your vulva and of your vagina like that isn't a thing that most women of her generation would know like the word vulva didn't really start getting used until fairly recently as far as like people using words to describe the female reproductive anatomy right um so like i'm not surprised that that didn't happen but then you you also brought up the the difference between sexual and romantic attraction and there's also aesthetic attraction as well like it can be broken up into many different ways to be attracted to a person and a lot for i would say a uh, i wouldn't even say majority but like a large chunk out of the pie chart that is the human race um of people will experience romantic sexual and aesthetic attraction all to the same genders like it's like i am romantically attracted to women i am sexually attracted to women i am aesthetically attracted to women or it will be for multiple genders but they're attracted in all all of those areas to all of the genders that they are attracted to and a lot of people don't realize like they don't always match up that way like you can be aesthetically attracted to somebody without being sexually attracted to them you're like oh wow they are beautiful like I just want to stare at them forever and then somebody's like oh go ask them on a date and I'm like oh no I don't want to talk to them (laughs) no I'm gonna keep this a beautiful little fantasy in my brain of just looking at them and admiring the work of art that this human being is. And then there's romantic attraction that like, it's like, okay, I don't want to sleep with them. And like, you might not even have had that like va va voom, like, wow, you really turned me on reaction. Like you might not have even like thought about how beautiful they are, but you like want to wine and dine them. So I think it's very important for people to know there's many different ways to be attracted to a person And just because you're not experiencing all three of those does not mean that there's anything wrong. And then there's Jason Momoa, and I would like to do all three to him. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Yes, please. There's there's a lot of people that I'm just like, hello. (laughs) Right? All of it. Well, and I love, Nicole, that you also brought up, like, the parts of the body. I spent five days in the last week with um, some of my friends at a music festival. And the women with whom I hung out were, you know, a good 15 years older than me. You would not know it from looking at them because they are gorgeous. But they're 15 to 20 years older than me, which puts them in their 50s. And they said something. And I was like, that's not your vagina. That's your vulva. And they they all looked at me like, oh, yeah, like, you're right. That is my vulva. And then we started talking about the – and there were, like, two guys around just looking at us, like, wide-eyed, like, what the fuck are they talking about? Um, but <laughs> but we were talking about, like, what our education around our bodies was. And we talked about how, how frequently we thought um, the term pubic mons would come up in our lives because that's what we remember, like, being told about it. And we all had the same experience of, like, I remember learning that word and, like, remembering what it was because it is, like, the mound on... Oh, no, it's not hot. 
No, it's not. Imagine <laughs> using that in a bedroom. Like, how is your pubic mon? <laughs> I have found that I have actually used mons more often when it comes to like getting waxed than anything else when they're like asking they're like so what do you want i'm like everything except for like just the top of the mons because that shit hurts (laughs) like everywhere else is fine leave the little patch thanks exactly (laughs) and so like talking about all of that and then just these men standing around looking at us like a we're crazy B, what are you talking about? And C, I can't believe you're talking about this. It's just wild to me because, and then people think I'm being provocative, but I'm not being provocative. Like I am trying to make these types of conversations normal. And, you know, it is, it's, I remember like women's pleasure is not talked about in sexual education, Mm. especially in the religious environment in which I grew up where, I also was too. I was too scared to have a vibrator in high school because I was like convinced people would be able to hear it. I got my first one in college. I just yeah, and in until college, yeah. And I, got I didn't it as- even like have. That's a, that's a thing. That's the only thing. Well, there's been like a couple people who have given me an orgasm, and literally just a couple. But a vibrator is the only thing that's given me an orgasm. So, how sad is that? I mean, to be fair, I don't think any of us were really having, I mean, this is speaking for myself, I wasn't actually having, like, orgasms in high school when I was having sex. Sometimes I was like, yeah, I definitely am. And then, like, I would have a new experience. I'm like, no, this one is. Like, this is yeah. an orgasm. And then, yeah, it took it took a little bit before I was like, oh, <laughs> what I that, that is... I think women often too will get very close and mm-hmm. they'll feel the buildup and then they have, and then it stops and it's, you have like the letdown then, right? So it's like mm-hmm. it builds up and then it just like the elevator goes right back down instead of like shooting up out the top of the building. And so I think we do believe like, mm-hmm. okay, I did have an orgasm because all of the things that we see, that we hear, that we've been told equate an orgasm were present except Mm -hmm. for the explosion at the end. And I'm so sorry you're not like recording this now that I'm doing like all of my cheerleader moves. Oh yeah. We'll do some like, this is like the, the verbal description. Suzanne is like doing actual art, like, it's like it's like that uh that episode of spongebob where spongebob's going imagination yes. with a rainbow over his yes. head but it's a lot faster and more enthusiastic enthusiastic <laughs> but but it is it's like once you once you get there then you're like oh that's what this is supposed to be that's what i thought i was feeling and that's when it gets to be like you get to the peak and then it stops and you're like, well, fuck. Damn <laughs> like, like, it, so I, close. I, so close. Whereas before, Unintentional like, the, edging. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like the, the worst. The best is when you can be with a guy who says, oh shit, were you almost there? Or a girl. I don't know. I, I, I sleep with my Whoever husband. Whoever gets you almost there. And yeah. <laughs> um, and then you're like, yeah. And then they're like, okay, like push you back down and then go down on you until you do get there. That is how every sexual experience should end with both partners having come. And I always say there, everyone should aim for a two to one ratio. If you are sleep, if you're a woman sleeping with a man, a woman should come twice for every man's once. I actually slightly disagree. I agree with your premise. Okay. Mine is that I find that goal-oriented sex does not work for me and a lot of people. Um, oh, I and I am being somewhat facetious on. Yeah, <laughs> I want to be. Yeah. I want to be very clear about that. Even just having um, orgasms be the goal sometimes is counterproductive, um, yeah. and and also it's one of those things too where like it. Uh, I personally, and I'm going to use the word goal here because I can't 
come up with a consistent metaphor, apparently. Um, my uh, goal a lot of the time is just pleasure. And that usually helps you have more orgasms um, mm-hmm. if you're just trying to seek out pleasure. Uh, and then it also places like less of a... Uh, a disappointment when you don't get there because like a lot of us for some reason sometimes it just doesn't happen and then people feel so disappointed and they're like I'm bad at sex especially men and like I don't want to coddle more cis men when it comes to sex but like you don't always have to give your partner an orgasm because sometimes it's out of your control (laughs) oh for sure you could do everything right you could be the most wonderful lover on the face of the planet and sometimes the stars just do not align and it just doesn't happen it can be because like it's you're stressed the weather's weird you have a weird kink in your hip that you can't get to go away and like or sometimes it's just like eh it's just not happening today and I think that's important to communicate with your partner too yeah like yeah definitely or like sometimes when I am post-ovulation pre-menstrual, my nipples and my clit get very, very sensitive, like to the point where I have hit, I've hit Brian before for touching me. <laughs> like just an involuntary reaction. And so just yeah. as long as you can, like, can communicate those things with your partner, which again is something that you're not taught in sex education is how to communicate not only your needs, but your boundaries and like where you are in the moment. Like it's, mm-hmm. you have to learn how to do that. And I've, I always say like, if you can't talk about sex with someone, you shouldn't be having sex with them. But and that's just kind of a mantra that I give myself because even in this long-term relationship, I find it difficult to talk about sex sometimes. Well, yeah, because even if you are comfortable and you do have that trust built, you still exist within a society that has a lot of trouble with these things. So it's really hard to break out of that a lot. But um, I'm going to backtrack a little bit because it just occurred to me. So, Nicole, you had your sex ed in Denver. I had mine in Colorado Springs. And I am wondering... Because I have a theory that somehow still my sex ed was more conservative than the sex ed that you received because Colorado Springs has a reputation. <laughs> but I'm 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 wondering I'm wondering more about like what the actual content of your sex ed was and like who taught it to you. Um <clears throat> so I think I took I had two classes. One was in fifth grade before we get into middle school, which was insane because I completely lost control of my body in middle school and went through puberty and had no idea what was going on. But um, yeah, the the content, all I remember is like going over anatomy basically. And mm. it was very basic. There was no mention of a vulva. And I remember the pubic mons or whatever. I don't like, I don't know why I remember that too. I think it's the name. Probably. And- it's a weird word. <laughs> It's a weird word, but yeah, all I remember is seeing this lady give birth on the, I forget what that shit is called, the moment of life or something. In, or in the miracle of life, I think. The miracle of life and seeing her, her that was the first time I've actually seen um, a vulva, For actually. Mm-hmm. I was really looking forward to it. I remember that now. I was really looking forward to it because I'd only seen mine. I was finally going to see another badge, and it was terrifying. There was no explanation after that. I needed help with all the fluids that were coming out. Like, I was not prepared to see a birth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I remember from fifth grade, those two things, seeing just the anatomy and then watching that video. And it was taught by – one of the teachers, I think it was just one of the teachers that was the rotating fifth grade teacher crew. And then whoever I, drew the short straw that year. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And I think it was only for like, I think we had quarters in elementary school or something. So it was like one quarter, however many weeks that was. I don't even know. Um, and then I remember the rest of it was, I think I had health at some point in high school one time as a class it was something required and then if I wanted to learn more about it 
there was no elective or anything like that. Yeah. You could go to human anatomy, but that was it. Like you had to take health. And I remember they, they touched on it again, the same stuff I learned in fifth grade in high school, they touch on it again, but then that's thrown in with like nutrition. Um, there's other content with that class besides yeah. just brief, brief sexuality, which again was probably more focused towards like use condoms and abstinence and here's human anatomy. Was was the one in high school taught like by the health teacher or did they bring in somebody else to do it? No, the the PE teachers or whatever. Mm. Or or there, it might have been like um it might have been maybe even a nurse, but it wasn't like it was I feel like it was a PE teacher. I can't even remember though. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's not too different from mine. Mine's uh, mine was a different timeline. So like we had sex ed in it was like one or two weeks out of sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. Um, and it was, I have no idea what happened in sixth and seventh because my mom didn't sign the form and I had to go do like team building exercises in the library with all of the Mormon kids. Uh, <laughs> and then I cried and begged my mom to sign the paperwork in eighth grade because people were making fun of me because I was... I had stricter parents than a lot of Mormon kids. And uh, in eighth grade, most of it was taught, like they separated the boys and the girls from most of it. And then there were like a few days that like, it was like, oh, everybody needs to know this as if you don't need to know the anatomy of a person that you might potentially be sexually interested in when you're older. Like I would have found like researching the male sexual reproductive system very useful absolutely <laughs> yeah in life um but well and also alas. you see those tiktoks and like videos on the internet of people carrying around like a 2d print of like the female reproductive system and it's like where's the clitoris and they're all like eat where's the vagina and they're like all pointing to the urethra and it's like and that's why we all struggled with UTIs once upon a time. Well, and like I've seen that, but like I actually had, I saw one where it was like somebody did that to women in like yeah. a sports bar versus like a lesbian bar. Mm. And the, and all of the women who were in a sports bar had trouble identifying different parts of the anatomy that's so um, interesting and then a lot of the women in the lesbian bar didn't because i mean they have most They're likely if they are sexually active seen the 3d model mm -hmm. in, in real life um but yeah well, like not knowing their own anatomy and I think that goes back to, you know, it's like that Sex in the City episode where Samantha asked Charlotte, like, you've never looked, you've never looked at yourself with a hand mirror? And she's like, no. And she was like, here, take mine, go in the bathroom and do it now. And Charlotte was like, I can't do that. Like, no, I can't do that. And I think there's so much of that. And there's so much shame around like our sexual organs. Again, like what we, what I was saying, what Nicole was saying at the beginning of this episode, when we talked about what our podcast is really trying to do when you can break down those taboo topics and be like, why is this taboo? Like everyone has it. And frankly, all of our parts are actually very similar. If you've never read the book, Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski, she mm -hmm. talks about how all of our reproductive systems are the same nerves, the same parts this oriented is, differently. Same yeah. Just differently oriented. Different and configuration of the same tissue. And so it's like, why, why do we need to feel shame around those parts? Like they're not dirty because that's what shame does. It like, it puts things in the shadows. It makes you feel dirty. It makes you feel like there's something wrong with you. And when we bring it out and we just talk about it, you know, I will joke that there's nothing in life I love more than making, you know, cishet men uncomfortable. But at the same time, they should get uncomfortable. We should all get uncomfortable so that everyone else can get comfortable because comfortable is on the other side of uncomfortable, no matter which way you slice it. Mm -hmm. Even because it sounds like Nicole and I got more information than you did, Suzanne. Like just yeah. like, even though it wasn't necessarily all useful 
information or helpful. Like it, we didn't learn how to apply it right. in any way, shape or form. They're like, here's a bunch of information. The test will be later in your own life. Right. You'll be surprised <laughs> when it happens. And it will yeah. not be open book. Good luck. Right. <laughs> like, we got in fifth grade, we were separated boys and girls. And we got to talk about our periods. And then we got sent home with like a little period kit. When I say a little period kit, it was like a maxi pad and two tampons. It was not that fancy. And I want to say for all of the people who might be listening to this who have children who have uteruses, get the period panties. Oh my God, I love period panties. You can get them at Target. You can get them at Walmart. You can get them online. They are phenomenal. They are absorbent. And I'm not a heavy bleeder, but they're absorbent and they don't smell. And you can wear them all day and they just look like normal underwear. And NYX even, and this is not sponsored, this is not an ad, but they have come out with period bathing suits. Yes. And like none of them feel like you're wearing a diaper. Diaper. Yeah. It it feels cool. a little bit different. So it takes like a hot second to get used to it. But when I say a hot second, I mean literally like a second. You start moving around and you're like, okay, this is fine. Um, yeah. But yeah, so we had that. I don't know what the boys got to talk about. and But we got to talk about our periods. And I think that they – were like very they rushed it a little bit that year because multiple girls in my class had already started their periods. Yeah. And so then that was it until eighth grade. So we had health class. It was all women. It was like every other week or like once a month or something. We had instead of gym, we had health class. It was the same teacher. I don't remember having a sex talk. If we I may not have gotten my form signed. I don't know. Um, but also, but I do remember watching um, a lot of like after school specials or HBO had this series that they did on like health related issues back. It's so funny. You can Google it. I can't remember what they're called, but like there was one with Callista Flockhart that was all about bulimia, which I'm like, I look back now and I'm like, please never show that to kids again because that was quite literally an instructional manual for me and well, my I bulimia. Mean, probably also around the same time that D.A.R.E. was like big that they didn't realize they were just giving kids instructions on how to get drugs. Yeah. Yeah. I had D.A.R.E. in fifth grade. <laughs> um, I just remember there was a really high focus on angel dust. And I was like, I still to this day, I'm like, what? What? Yeah, well, maybe I it's never because care you went about to, that. Yeah, maybe it's because you went to Catholic school and maybe. they were like, it has the word angel in it, and we don't want you getting confused, right? <laughs> and but yeah, and like we also watched a movie that had Ben Affleck in it that was about steroid use. And uh, naturally, Ben Affleck. Yes. Yeah, and I remember it focusing. It focused like so much on like his back knee and his rage, and then there was like a snippet about how it made his balls shrink. Um, oh, you know, so that was like my health class in eighth grade, and then again we had it like freshman and sophomore year of high school. Again, like we had human anatomy, and we had like a health class, which I don't remember really talking about sex in either of those. Like human anatomy was just very strictly anatomy. Like we talked about anatomy and I, I know about, and like our teacher, our teacher was so cool. And at the same time I look back and I'm like, you were so conservative and like repressed but she was also she was a scientist you know and like so she taught us science science she taught us science about anatomy and so I do remember like having to label all of the parts of the female reproductive reproductive system I remember having to label all the parts of the male reproductive system and like having an understanding and a grasp no pun intended as I'm like look like I'm juggling some balls right now. Um, just of, yeah, just look like I'm cupping some balls of like what the parts were. But I also remember the first time I touched a guy's balls and apparently was too rough. And like, it was like, oh, sorry. Like, I, Did I, you use the very aggressive cupping motion that you possibly, were just using on camera? Possibly. I, <laughs> I possibly did, knowing I'm very enthusiastic. But, you know, we also were taught like 
no means no, but that was the extent of it. Mm-hmm. Not that there are different ways in which consent appears to be obtained when it isn't. That coercion isn't consent. That yeah. pestering isn't consent. That you can that once you start, you can withdraw your consent at any time. I like, think that one is still making its way into sex ed now. For um, sure. That one is still very largely, uh, according to some people, up for debate, even though it's not. Um, Those people can <laughs> fuck off. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I guess my my big question, because it seems like all three of us didn't really get the most useful of sex ed ever and now are all involved in highly sexualized jobs and or hobbies uh, now. and do you think that you do you think you would have turned out differently had you gotten better sex ed in regards to how you view your sexuality today let me think about this um would i turn out differently if i had better sexual education Um, yeah, probably. I feel like I work out a lot of my issues on stage. So definitely, maybe I would just be like the perfect little homemaking wife if I knew what to do with my... No, you know what? I would probably be like the biggest... I don't even know. I feel like I'd be like the biggest activist if I knew what to do with my vagina earlier, with my vulva, my vulva earlier. Like... It's taken like 35 years or something to really figure things out. So mm-hmm. I could have done a lot more damage and avoided a lot more fuckboys if I um, had a better education. So, yeah, I think things would be different. But I'm mm-hmm. proud of what I do. And I feel like I make, us, uh, I make it safe for women to express themselves on stage, online, in the bedroom, in the lingerie store, like wherever you want to be in lingerie in front of me, I am for it. Let's let's take off our clothes. Let's do it. Yes. <laughs> well, and I I think that I probably would have avoided a lot of shame around mm-hmm. my sexuality because kind of like once I was released from my parents' home, like I turned into a feral animal and was just going wild for a while. And I look back and I think, you know what? I don't think that it was that crazy. But because there was such a stigma around was, is, whatever you want to say, around women and their sexuality – what I was doing was perceived to be not okay. And I, this is one of my favorite stories. It's from one of my best friends. And when I was like, I wanted to be, I just, I just wanted to be a good girl. I wanted to check all Mm -hmm. the boxes and be a good girl. And one of those things when I went to college was joining a sorority, which I, I did do. And I have very fond memories of it. I also have negative memories of it. And, but I, um, I went through rush my freshman year and I did not get a placement, even though I had been a legacy in a couple of houses because I had ended up sleeping with this guy who I cheered with during like freshman orientation week. Mm -hmm. Didn't think much of it again. Like we cheered together. Like what's the big deal? But then I ended up getting a bid to a house my sophomore year. And my best friend, when they were voting on me, they some people were like standing up and being like, she has a bad reputation. She has a bad reputation. And my best friend stood up and said, if you are basing whether she gets a bid or not on these things you've heard about her, then and she started pointing at people and naming names. And this is before she and I were really close. She's like, you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be here. And if we're basing it on that, then fuck you. All of you are hypocrites. And I think that in terms of safety, I would have done things a lot different. Mm-hmm. I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been talked into doing some things that I did. I would have um, better advocated for myself in ways 
But I also remember saying to someone in college, like, I am a very sexual person. And just because you don't like that doesn't mean that I need to change. Yeah. And maybe I wouldn't have gone full feral once I was released on the public. But I do think that in a lot of ways, like, I kind of am who I am. And I was just finally allowed to express that. And I think that's a very similar story to a lot of people that I have talked to, like, in in general and on this podcast. Like, uh, because that resonates with me. Like, I feel like I would have ended up in the same place that I am now. But my journey to get here would have been very, very different. I still would have ended up this bisexual, loud human being that I am. But, like, a lot of the reason that I did end up being so vocal and outspoken and, like, brash in the way that I approached my sexuality was because I didn't have any examples growing up. Exactly. That showed who I wanted to be in my sexuality. Like, I didn't know any bisexual adults. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm loud about it now. Because well, I, I know that there are other kids who are in a similar position to me who are like, oh, no, bisexuality is a phase. This is the thing that you do when you're a teenager and then you grow out of it because I don't see any bisexual adults. And, like, now I'm getting married. And so now I'm louder about it because I'm like, nope, absolutely, pick a side. <laughs> right. Well, and I think it's important, too, to recognize that throughout your life, you should be exploring Mm-hmm. what your sexuality means to you. Like I I am just coming to terms. I'm I'll be 37 in July and I'm just now coming to terms with the fact that you know what? I'm actually not straight. Mm-hmm. I would not go so far as to call myself bi. I wouldn't even go so far as to call myself pan. I would say I'm heteroflexible. But me wanting to make out with my friends in college was not because I was trying to be provocative and like stir up attention from boys. Like I just wanted to make out with my friends and Nicole can testify to this. I get two or three tequila shots in and I'm like, all right, which one of you bitches is going to make out with me tonight? And they're all like, like Suzanne I'm feeling kissy. Yeah. Let's and they're go. like, Suzanne, calm down. And I'm like, I don't want to calm down, but I will. Because I respect you. <laughs> but but I think it's important to understand that, like, especially for people, like you said, Nali, who grew up and didn't have examples of these things, didn't have, you know, um, awareness, there wasn't representation, that mm-hmm. you can continue to explore your sexuality. And that doesn't mean you're necessarily exploring it with other people, but you can explore it with yourself. And yeah, like you're marrying a man. I am married Mm -hmm. to a man. That doesn't mean that we cease to be attracted to people. It's when Nicole was doing um, online shows, when she was doing virtual burlesque, Mm -hmm. we would watch it together because I support my friends and when one candy, when candy would come on, there was one time when she was perform. He would always like his attention would always go to her. Like okay, like I'm I'm paying more attention to this dancer now, this performer. And there was one time when there was a UFC on, and so he's really watching the fight, and I'm really watching like Nicole and my friends perform. But then Nicole announces that Candy is coming on. The fight got paused and Brian came over and sat next to me on the couch and watched her. And I am just like having to keep it together so hard. Like I'm not going to laugh. I'm not going to say anything. But I'm I can't. That makes aware. me happy. But I can't. But I'm laughing so hard. I think I texted Nicole. I was like, oh my God, this is so funny. You'll never like guess what Brian was doing. I think that you you brought up a good point. It actually, like, ties back to the beginning of our conversation about, like, the different ways that you can be attracted to people. Mm -hmm. And also, like, you don't – because people think that there's only one way to be attracted to people and it's, like, across all of the attractions. Right. There is a tendency to want to assign labels of, like, bisexual, pansexual, uh, 
or like something that will put you neatly in a box. We love um, boxes. It, yes. If you aren't just attracted to the gender that society expects you to be attracted to, like exclusively. And like, you don't, you don't need a label. Like, if a label is comforting to you, then, like, yes, they can be very empowering, they can be very community-building, they can be very, like, shorthand. It's just, like, I can say a word and somebody can understand what that means immediately, Uh, so, like, they can be very useful, but they can also be very limiting to a lot of people who don't fit inside the box of, like... I am attracted to multiple genders because when you say I'm attracted to multiple genders, people hear, I want to sleep with people of multiple genders. And that's not always the case. Uh, Sexuality is a wibbly wobbly, not boxy thing that people don't need to fit into. I would love the opportunity at some point to talk to you more about that concept of putting in boxes and like how sexuality is you know, you say it's a spectrum and that sounds like so clinical, but I like the wibbly wobbly concept better. Yeah. Well, because it's not even necessarily a spectrum because a spectrum has two ends and some stuff in yeah. between. And it is more like a sphere or it's the universe. It's the universe. Like sexuality is the universe. You can exist in multiple different galaxies, not on mm-hmm. the same planet in that galaxy. You can traverse in several like and it's also very fluid like not everybody has the same sexuality throughout their life like sometimes some people you discover new things about yourself that you're then like nope that's always been there sometimes things change Mm -hmm. like and you have a new part of yourself develop not just be discovered um so it's and everybody's story is different too and it it makes it very hard for a lot of people who like a lot of cishet people who it's like they were popped out their doctor spanked them said it's a girl and they never were given cause in their brain to think otherwise and they were like oh you're gonna get a boyfriend when you're older and they were never given cause in their brain to think otherwise and it's if you go on that very straight no pun intended, track. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It it can be really hard to imagine, like, discovering things and being like, wait, how did you not know that was there? Or developing something that you're like, nope, this is a new thing that was not there before. Like, people just sometimes do not understand it. I think more people are are starting to, like, the pandemic caused a lot of people to be introspective um, in ways that they had not done before, but... Yeah, it's, that is, yeah. I was going to say, I'll say this one more thing and then I'll shut up, I promise. Nicole looks skeptical of me, but I promise I will. We just did an episode on um, dating apps and like Nicole got on Bumble and we went through people's apps and we talked about things that were red flags or not. And one thing that I have determined, at least for me, this is a personal red flag, is if you cannot admit that anyone of the same gender or at least perceived gender mm-hmm. is attractive, anyone, even if it's just one person, that's a red flag for me. I mean, same. Yeah. Like you don't yeah, need to be I mean, personally attracted to them to recognize that a person is attractive. It's that aesthetic attraction. Yeah. And it's like there are people that I am not personally attracted to, but I can look at them and be like, I can see how people think that that is a gorgeous human being and want to do things. Not exactly my taste, but like, absolutely, I can objectively see that this is a train of thought that makes sense. <laughs> like, um, but yes, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me today. Uh, for listeners who have not gotten a chance to listen, I actually did a crossover episode with Wild Women Rise where I participated in their podcast structure so go over there be sure to listen to my episode but also all of the other ones um i've been waiting to go through the um the dating app one actually that one's on my my queue of things to listen to while i'm working in the next couple weeks very funny (laughs) yes very very funny funny. i can i can vouch for that that one especially it was because i got to experience a world that i've never experienced the dating app world and you mean the nightmare it's, I have a lot yeah. of opinions. <laughs> there, yeah, there are a lot of opinions to be had. Uh, 
it's definitely a whoo it is a thing yes yeah we're um, experts <laughs> But yes, thank you for coming in. Everybody go and uh, follow. Yeah, our Instagram and our Twitter and our Facebook are all Wild Women Rise podcast. You can find Nicole uh, on Instagram at Penny Please. You can find me on Instagram at Suzangela. And yeah, we uh, we don't have any intention of stopping this train. Wonderful. So, yeah, we're we would love to have some of your listeners come over and check us out and. And we hope that ours have come and checked you out because Absolutely. I, I can, I feel like I can speak for both Nicole and myself. Like we adore you. Yes, I we do. I adore both of you. This is, oh, this is amazing. It's like a business partnership, but also friendship at the same time. And honestly, I, my first interaction with Nat was at a burlesque show where she would like came over to me. You came over to me to have me help you take your glove off. And I just put it in my mouth and took it off. Oh yeah. <laughs> I hope you know that that glove has been in my mouth and other okay. people's mouths. I didn't, times. I didn't get COVID. So I'm good. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's fine. I, I sanitize them. As best there we as go. I, <laughs> I actually think they may have been freshly washed that time. Cause I think that they were covered in red lipstick prior to that. Yeah. Who knows? Well, we'll uh, te- tequila, like I said, tequila had been had. So I was like, yes, give it to me. <laughs> yeah. No, but none of your friends were making out with you. So you had to make out with my glove. It makes with sense. Your glove. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, everybody head over to Wild Woman Rise podcast to listen. And then as a reminder, I have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash uncensored pod where you can throw money at me so I can eventually hire somebody else to do my editing because I don't want to <laughs> i feel that um, yeah 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 because you, nicole you're the one who edits the yours aren't you? it's oh listening yeah. to your own voice for like an hour is awful yeah, absolutely awful yes uh thank you so much and then uh everybody tune in next time and i will talk dirty to you goodbye bye bye this one this cat has hung up on people <laughs> like no done yeah she i don't has, like what she you're has, saying she has closed out my zoom meetings i use oh. google voice for some of my job and she has hung up on people from google voice like she's I'll like we're done here back and i'm like i'm so sorry my cat hung up like, on no. you uh, <laughs> my i know that that sounds like a like my dog ate my homework i was gonna say zoom. that's the new my dog ate my homework <laughs>